I have a word for you. I will uh, do my best to get it done in the next uh, hour or two. That was a joke, y'all. Relax. I'll do it in 20 minutes. How's that? Hold me to 30. I'll try for 20. Here's the title of my message, and I know it's not good grammar. In fact, I don't even think what I just said, not good grammar, was good grammar. The title of my message is, Behavior Ain't Your Savior. I know it's not good grammar because I couldn't find ain't in the dictionary. <laughs> so behavior ain't your savior. We've been talking all year so far about a transformation, being transformed in our lives, about the new covenant. First Sunday of January when we had our communion, the Lord impressed upon my heart to talk a little bit more about the new covenant and what that means in the Lord. And uh, that's, this is a continuation of that. Maybe since today's my last Sunday in the, in the next month, uh, for, for at least a month as I, Diane and I are going away for a little while, um, I'll close off this uh, series today. And I made a statement, I think, in our very first message uh, that condemnation hinders transformation. And many times we are under condemnation because we're trying to live under a set of rules that we just can't stand up to, we just can't hold up to. They're, in some cases, it's impossible, and at best, difficult. I'm not saying Christianity is difficult because Christianity is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life and the most powerful thing that I've ever done in my life. But when I try to live my Christianity through a set of rules and regulations, it becomes something that I can't always hold up to the standard of. Can I get a witness from somebody? All right. Do you all need to do some amen practice this morning before we get too deep into the message? All right. And what does that do? When you can't stand up to the standard, there's a condemnation that sets in. I'm not good enough. I don't, I, I don't qualify. There's guilt, shame, etc. And a lot of people live their Christian life boxed in that condemnation. It's not a good place to be, you all. All right. So if you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Romans. I've been kind of hanging out in the book of Romans and Hebrews all the month of January. I'm interested and anxious to see where Brother Jonathan is going to be taking you all uh, in the month of February. And in fact, if you guys keep this up throughout February, it wouldn't surprise me when I come back in March if we're not to two services because this place is packed today. We actually have people over in the youth overflow room. And I think we ought to give them a hand and a welcome. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm reading from the third chapter of Romans, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 28. And keep in mind, my uh, title is Behavior Ain't Your Savior. But now, I'm reading verse 21, chapter 3, Romans. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. 
This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Somebody say glory to God about that one. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. Say his righteousness. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we have two things here that really stand in juxtaposition to each other, and that is faith and law. They're not good partners. In fact, they're not even supposed to be partners in any way, shape, or manner. Let's talk about the law for a minute. The law was segmented primarily into three different categories. There was the sacrificial law, the ceremonial law, and the Mosaic law, and included in the Mosaic law was the moral code or moral law of the Ten Commandments. But those are the three primary areas. The sacrificial law was about the temple sacrifices and what a person needed to bring to the temple to be sacrificed for a certain sin one had committed, and that particular sacrifice took care of that particular sin. But the next time there was a sin, there needed to be another sacrifice and another sacrificial animal brought. So that's the sacrificial law. The ceremonial law was very much about all of the rituals and festivals and lunar dates and and, and different dates where the Judaic faith had to celebrate certain things on specific dates. You know, you had Passover and Festival of Tabernacles, Festival of Weeks, and you can go on and, and so forth. That's all about the ceremonial law. And then you had what was known as the Mosaic law, which included everything that the Lord gave Moses for the law, which started with, we all know, the Ten Commandments. That was the first piece of law that came down off the mountaintop that was given. We know Moses broke the first set of tablets because he was angry at the people for sacrificing to a calf. You remember that story. Had to go back up the mountain, got the same letters again. So really, the beginning of the Mosaic Law is the moral code of the Ten Commandments. Okay, y'all with me? Trying to keep this very simple and down to earth. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I, and I think I'm looking for some responses here. Are we still under the system of the sacrificial law? No. Aren't you glad? Yes. It'd be a royal mess and a royal stench in here if that was the case. And how about this? Every time you did something wrong, you'd have to bring an animal for sacrifice. Does that sound like the church you want to go to? So everybody's in agreement. We are no longer under under the sacrificial law, right? Say amen. Amen. Okay, and and why is that? Particularly because Jesus Christ became the ultimate Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for us, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Oh, is it 12 o'clock? Oh, my goodness. For those of you who are visiting today, you're thinking, why don't they turn their phones off? 
Well, in most cases, I'd agree, but we have a 12 o'clock thing that we've been doing as a church for a while now, at least since the first of the year, and that's at 12 o'clock every day to have an alarm set where we'll pray, and I will, as I share with you what there are, I'm going to say the prayer. We curse COVID-19 in the name of Jesus, and we curse every mutation of that disease in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus and in the power of his name, amen? And we curse every demonic spirit that's trying to cause upheaval and trouble throughout our country and throughout the world. In Jesus' name, may there be peace. Amen? And then finally, we lift up and pray for every single person that's been affected by coronavirus in some way, shape, or manner, whether through the loss of a loved one or they themselves having that sickness. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, Amen. Amen. And back now to this message in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you see, we're no longer under the sacrificial law, right? You're going to get your ameners working before this service is over because this is going to be a, a, a cooperative message today, partnership. Are we still under the ceremonial law? No, well, I mean, I mean, are we still obligated to keep and observe all of the Judaic festivals? No, we're not. And why not? Because Jesus completed nearly every one of them in one shape or another by his death on the cross of Calvary. So we're all in agreement that we are no longer under the sacrificial law, right? Okay. And we're all in agreement that we're no longer under the ceremonial law, right? Okay, then, and here we have in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he made the first covenant obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What does obsolete mean? No longer useful. No longer useful. So let me ask you, are we still under the Mosaic law? Oh, you weren't as enthusiastic about your nose, were you? No, you weren't. Is it, are we still obligated to keep the law of Moses? No, the answer is no. Why? Because Jesus Christ completed all of the law. He, he made for us by his blood a new covenant. And the new covenant, according to the writer of Hebrews, says that a new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete, which means useless, no longer valid. Okay? So now I'm going to ask you a tougher question. Are we still under the law of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? I, yeah, I said, that was a setup, y'all. That was totally a setup. Isn't the Ten Commandments the introduction and beginning of the Mosaic Law? Of which you all said we're no longer under? But you have a problem, and I understand the tension that it causes to say we're no longer obligated to the Ten Commandments. It, 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 most people would go, oh, did he say that? <laughs> but it isn't it interesting that we tried our best to keep the Ten Commandments, which by the way, by doing the Ten Commandments and keeping any one of them makes you feel like you have a better sense of righteousness. Okay, Hang with me, hang with me, don't, don't send me out on vacation tar and feather, just hang with me for a few minutes. 
I mean, can we really live by the code of law and the grace of Christ at the same time? No. Scripture makes that clear to us, that we cannot live by both at the same time, but yet as Christians, we try it every single day to somehow blend the two together to have a sense, and the reason we do it is to have a sense of right standing with God. We're not under the law of the Ten Commandments any longer. Now, is there such a thing known as the trouble with the letter of the law, but the amazing life that's found in the spirit of the law? Okay, and I'm not trying to confuse. I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can. We've all agreed sacrificial is over. We've all agreed uh, uh, ceremonial is over. We've all agreed, well, pretty much, y'all were a little lame on your uh, no answer, but Mosaic law. And we all had trouble with the whole idea of maybe the Ten Commandments isn't relevant. <laughs> I had to let that sing. Everybody ought to just for a minute go, hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Bear with me for a minute. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. So pause for a minute. Paul is writing in Romans saying, I would not have even known sin except for the law, right? So he is referring to the law, and look which law he pulls up. He says, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And what is you shall not covet? One of the? So even Paul in his writing is referring to one of the moral codes from the Ten Commandments to refer to it as law, saying, I would not have known sin had it not been for that. But he's also the writer who is saying, you cannot be justified through works of the law in any way, shape, or manner. He's also the writer that said, because of the new covenant, the old covenant is obsolete. He spent most of his writings through Romans and Galatians and other places trying to get people to understand that they are not going to be righteous because of their acts. Behavior ain't your Savior is the whole point of today. So let's not forget what the Ten Commandments and the law were. And let's not separate. The Ten Commandments is a part of the law. It's like the preamble. This was the first letters of the law. Ten Commandments. We've been taught since Sunday school. We had flannel graphs that taught us how to do this. The Ten Commandments, right? But it says now in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that which by which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And by the way, y'all, part of the oldness of that letter was in fact the Ten Commandments. Paul proved it by using you shall not covet as a point in his argument. Okay, that's a good time not to say amen. Just kind of soak it in for a minute. So we need to remember that before Christ accomplished the work of atonement on the cross of Calvary, those who obeyed the law, before, let me say it again, before Christ died on the cross of Calvary, those 
who obeyed the law were righteous before God. That was their means by which they got a hold of righteousness, okay? And those who did not obey the law were unrighteousness. In fact, it's, it's said to us that they had to keep every, if they're going to keep the law, they had to keep every letter of the law, and quite frankly, that was a part of the curse of the law, was it was something no man could do, except one, except one, Jesus Christ. The old covenant was righteousness based on obedience to the law, the sacrificial law, the ceremonial law, the Mosaic law, which included the moral code of the Ten Commandments. The new covenant, however, is based on righteousness, is a righteousness based on Christ and Christ alone. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. You all need to hear me out in this message. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, we no longer have a righteousness that is based on law, any part of the law. You cannot have a righteous life ascribed to your life because of any of the practices of the law, whether sacrificial, ceremonial, mosaic, or moral code of the ten. You won't attain righteousness by putting your faith there doing those things. So, let me ask you this. And as I said a minute ago, you know, you're all saying, my God, pastor, how can you say such a thing? We are not held to the Ten Commandments anymore. Heresy! All right, well then let me ask you this question. Which one of the commandments do you really live by? Don't answer that question. So I'm going to take us down a little pathway of looking a little closer so we can really be honest. You having fun yet? I'm not sure online congregation if they're having much fun today. I, I hope you're having fun. Praise God. So you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first one, right? You shall, all right, let's make it holy. We'll do King James. Thou shalt not. Right? You shall have no other gods before me, but wait a minute. How many of you got money as your God or your job as your God? Forgive me, all of you watching online or you here, golf or fishing as your God or your TV. Maybe TV's your God or Facebook. Maybe that's your God. So don't sit there and you're holier than thou look and say, I have no other gods before me. When you can barely keep your phone in your pocket for the 90 minutes of this service. Uh-huh. Oh, hey, number two, I'll move on because y'all looking at me like that. Why don't he go on vacation already? <laughs> number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give you this one. Maybe you don't have any statue idols in your home. We'll give you a sprout on that one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All right, all right. I'm not going to nitpick a little bit and watch your language, and we'll give you a sprout on that one. I'm feeling a little bit gracious now. Because number four is harder. You'll remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Come on. As our president would say, come on, man. None of us do that. 
oh, we go to church on Sunday, but I doubt that there's a case where any single one of us take a day of the week to do nothing but rest, read, pray, and worship. No cooking, no yard work, no golf. Which one of the commandments do you really keep? Y'all get y'all with me so far? No TV. I know this is heresy. No social media. Number five, honor thy father and mother, right? Right, okay, so there's probably many that do honor their father and mother, but there's probably just as many, even in this room or within earshot of my voice, who do not honor their father and mother. And you might say, what? I don't have to. You don't know what? they did to me. I'm sorry, it's law, isn't it law? It's the moral code. Aren't we supposed to still do this? In a way, yes, but in every way, no. Okay, number six, you shall not murder. Now, I pray to God there are no murderers in the room today. However, Jesus said, if you're even angry at your brother, You've already committed murder. I wonder how many of us are guilty of being angry with our brother, whether it be our physical blood brother or just a friend brother. Huh? Mm. Which commandment do you keep? Just curious which one you want to hold to to gain your righteousness because the Scripture clearly says if you're going to keep one of them, you must, by law, keep all of them. So which one do you choose? How about number seven? You shall not commit adultery. And I'm certain there's no adulterers or adulteresses in this room today, but our Lord Jesus said, if you so much as look at the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Don't even raise your hands if you're guilty already. So which command do you want to keep? Number eight, you shall not steal. Probably not any thieves in the room, at least I hope not. Amen? Everybody grab their purses, you know, hang on. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh-oh, everybody say, rut row. Or do the Scooby-Doo, rut row. Yeah, probably not any of us here guilty of verbally throwing someone under the bus. Yeah, yeah, most of you felt the thump, 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 tread marks across your face already. So which commandment do you want to keep? Because if you keep one, you have to keep them all. Then there's number 10. You shall not covet, the one that Paul referred to, and it's an interesting word, a really interesting word, because it means wrongful, wrongful, uncontrollable desire. Probably not anybody here with your credit cards maxed out, but I will move on. So which one of these moral codes do you want to stick with? Because I find it very unlikely that any of us in this room keep every one of them to the letter. That's not saying you're good or bad, because guess what? Behavior ain't your savior. Everybody with me? Thank you, brother. Praise God. I wish I could get an amen from the youth room. Okay. 
So what you need to know is you can't cherry pick any portion of the law. I'll do that one. And if I do that one and I don't do that one, then I'm all right. And you've missed the whole point. If you choose to live by the law, any of the law, according to Scripture, you are held responsible for all of the law. I think it's time for us to quit cherry-picking the rules and trying to find some sense of right standing by performance by doing them because you can never perform up to its level. No one could except one. So every human being has to deal with a sense of condemnation because they can never rise to the bar high enough except for one who did. And my friends, that's why he qualified to become our righteousness because he was, in fact, righteousness according to the sacrificial law, according to the ceremonial law, according to the Mosaic law, which include the moral code. Christ never missed a jot or a tittle, a littlest mark of the law. He's the only person in an earth suit that was ever able to accomplish it. Friends, no one can keep the whole law. That's why it's called the curse of the law. No one can be 100%, 100% of the time. You all agree with that? There's not a one of you in this room that can be 100%, 100% of the time. And most of us base our 100% on the picture of the law and specifically the Ten Commandments. And Well, I'm not, doing, I'm not a murderer, so... But you can't stand your brother. I'm not an adulterer, no, but you're involved in pornography. I'm not a thief, no, but you withhold from God. Everybody happy? All right, then I'm failing because I'm not supposed to make you happy. So now Jesus, who took all the law, over 600 various requirements... And he boiled them all down to two. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22. How am I doing on time? Does anybody know what time it is? Good. I'm glad nobody has a clock. Glory to God. We're going to get this. This isn't long, I promise you. But it's important. So Jesus took all the law, all the commandments. Now, again, I've already explained to you what those are. Right? Sacrificial, ceremonial, mosaic, and the preamble to the mosaic, the moral code, the... See, you're even have a hard time saying it. The Ten Commandments. Okay, Matthew chapter 22, I want to read verses 34 through 40. Remember that Jesus took the entire law, over 600 requirements, and boiled them down to two. But when the Pharisees heard, verse 34, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, one of them a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law. And by the way, the prophets too. The whole law included the sacrificial law, the ceremonial law, the Mosaic law, and the moral code of the Ten Commandments, by the way. 
He boiled them all down to two. Now, this is, this is where it gets tricky. Because if you'll look even deeper, you will find that ultimately Jesus even took these two and rendered them down to one. Follow the process of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who was truly righteous. He took all of those commandments of all of the law and boiled them down to two. But a little bit later on in John, and it'll be on the screen up there, John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus now takes the two that he gave, and he says, but I'm going to give you now a new commandment, which is very, very interesting to me. We're going to take this journey at some point. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. The first one was love your neighbor as yourself. This one says, oh, I'm taking now, now I'm taking all the law, all the sacrificial, all the ceremony, all the mosaic, all the moral code, all 600 of the others. Uh, I, I, a little earlier in my ministry, I boiled them down to two, but now I'm boiling them down to one. Love your neighbor, not as yourself. He says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Ooh, that goes so much deeper. Everything in the law, whether the sacrificial, the ceremonial, or the mosaic, is about being right with God by doing right, by obeying the law. However, our righteousness is no longer maintained. It's no longer accomplished by doing. It's no longer accomplished by doing works of the law, by keeping any moral code. I'm not suggesting that we sin. In fact, the apostle Paul said, if the law be done, does that mean we're okay to sin? He said, God forbid! So don't think I'm throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. I'm talking about your sense of right standing before God. That's what I'm talking about. We, now I'm going to throw the grammar thing out the window again. We don't be righteous by doing righteous. We be righteous by Jesus being righteous. That's my whole message in one sentence. We don't be righteous by doing righteous. We be righteous by Jesus being righteous. So are you banking on what you do? Or are you banking on what Jesus did? Come on, somebody, because there's a whole lot of people in the kingdom of God in the church who are basing their sense of righteousness or right standing with God based on whether they perform well or not, and not basing it on what Jesus Christ already accomplished at the cross of Calvary. Can I get an amen from somebody? And how do we get this? How do we accomplish? How do we get that? How do we maintain that righteousness? By faith in Jesus. Don't have faith in your pastor. Don't, I mean, tr you know, have faith in me. Yes, yes, believe that I'm going to be okay and that you're going to be okay and we're going to be okay and all's going to be well. But I'm not your ticket to heaven. Don't have faith in your church because guess what? I, as a pastor, will let you down. Your church will let you down. That will happen. It's life. Have faith in Jesus who will never, ever, ever let you down. <coughs> I got one chance to minister to you, to, to all of y'all in the next 30 days. I'm taking advantage of it today, and I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. Condemnation hinders transformation. You cannot transform into that which Christ wants you to be as long as you're banking your sense of rightness before God on any work. 
and you will continue to be a, a condemned in your own heart person because you'll never measure up. Your faith is misguided. Throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we can see the Israelites falling in and out of favor with God over and over and over again. I think there's over 47 different Old Testament verses that start off with, and the children of Israel did that which was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And then came penalty for them. They fell out of favor with God because they did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, and what was right in the sight of the Lord was whatever was written in the law, all of it. Newsflash, you won't see that paradigm with Christ. No one, nowhere under the dispensation, the generation of grace, will we see anything that says, and they no longer did what was right in the sight of God. Because what's right in the sight of God is one thing, faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus accomplished at the cross of Calvary. You cannot buy your way to heaven. You can't do it with church attendance. You can't do it with good tithing. You can't do it with because you stand on a street corner and hand out tracts. You can't. There's nothing you can do to qualify you for the grace of God, the favor of God, for heaven itself outside of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he gave you and me, the right standing before God. As long as my faith is there, he's my Savior. Behavior's not my Savior. Can somebody say amen in the house? house of God. God is pleased with us because of Jesus Christ. God is for us, and we have favor because of Jesus Christ. We have blessings of God through Jesus Christ. We have that instead of constantly being concerned about whether you're measuring up and whether God is happy with you or whether God is mad at you today, we need to be able to move forward knowing that God is for us, not because of works of righteousness. It's the gift of God. By faith are you saved. By grace are you saved through faith, not by any work that anyone can do. It's a gift of God. Faith in Him. Chad, you and I will never be good enough in our own earth suit, in our own mindset. And if we were still under the law, this would be a bloody mess up here. But I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. So I can have confidence toward my God. I can, I can hold my head up high, not in arrogant pride, but in humility to my Lord, who I know has done all the work for me. I am fine in Him. I am good in Him. I am loved in Him. I am accepted in Him. I am qualified in Him. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout in the house of God. So as I close, that's your hallelujah moment. Pastor said he's closing. Hallelujah. Every good preacher has at least five closings, just saying. We, when you know, when you can get a, I've been preaching about this for a month, y'all. When you know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you can face all of your situations, good or bad, in faith and say, by the grace of God, by the mercies of God, by the power of God, I'm going through something then 
that is difficult today, but in this situation, God is going to use it to catapult me forward to the next step in my life. In fact, He's going to use the troubles of today, the lessons of today, to help me help somebody tomorrow. But what happens when we fall, when we trip, when we fall on our faces, and we all do, we feel unworthy. We feel condemned. We don't even know if we're ready to jump back to God because He's not even going to like me anymore. Don't look at me like you haven't experienced that because I know we all have. And when you know it's through faith in Christ, you can get up and you can keep moving forward. Can you say amen? When you have a realization that you are the righteousness of God, you can move forward, rise up, move forward in good conscience knowing that there's no weapon formed or fashioned against you that's going to prosper. When you know and when you have your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have the favor of God in every aspect of your life. Not because you've done right. Not because you did good. Not because you followed any law. And not because you, 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 you abided by, abode by, whatever the right, I haven't used grammar since the, oh, the title of my message, so abode, abided, abiding, whatever, abiding, well, that don't, you know, we won't go there. But anyway, <laughs> you can be confident in the fact that Jesus Christ did everything that needed to be done. He's already done everything that needed to be done. He hung on the cross in those last few moments, and he said, I thirst, give me something to drink, and they gave him something to drink, and he, knowing that all things were accomplished, he said, it is finished. And the veil was rent in two. Ceremonial law was over. Sacrificial law was over. Mosaic law was over. Even living by the Ten Commandments was over. Not, not, not that there's good in there for us to learn some good things in life, but don't feel like you did one well and it qualified you to be good before God. That's not the deal. Faith in Christ. Jim, that's what qualifies you. Faith in Christ and that alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. Faith in Him. So we need to quit trying to earn our way into heaven based on our good behavior. And likewise, we need to quit feeling disqualified based on our bad behavior, because we're not all always good. Amen. We're not all. Mm -mm. Your ticket in heaven is secured by faith, having faith in Jesus Christ. And many of us would say, well, I do have faith in him as my Savior, and yet you still feel disqualified for the graces of God. And that's because you're still trying to perform based on a set of rules. And I'm trying to get you to have a transformation in your thinking. Because behavior ain't your savior. You're qualified by having faith in Jesus Christ. Because of anything you do? No, because of Jesus and his shed blood. He died for you. God, Father God sent his only begotten son into the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. He's your answer, not your acts of goodness. He's your answer. Does that mean it's okay to have acts of badness, as the Apostle Paul would say, heaven forbid? No, that's not what I'm trying to say today. 
go ahead and be bad because it doesn't matter anyway. That's not what I'm trying to say today. I'm saying don't find your right standing before God based on whether you're good or bad. Find it based on the only one who is good, our Lord Jesus Christ. He qualified to become your righteousness because he's the only human that ever lived on planet earth who actually was righteous according to the standards of the law. He qualified to do away with it and its reason for right or bad because he was the only one that was completely good. He qualified to take on the old righteousness and make it obsolete to bring to us a brand new righteousness that's based in faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. I wish somebody would give the Lord a praise in the house of God today. Amen. Amen. So quit feeling disqualified because you've been too bad or too ornery. Wives just elbowed your husbands. You know, yeah. don't, you don't feel like you're disqualified because you've been too bad or you've been too ornery or you've been too mean or you've been too sinful. We've all been bad. We've all been mean. We've all been ornery. We've all been sinful for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I don't have to base my worth any longer on my goodness or my badness. Because the Bible teaches me that no one is good, no, not one, except for him. He is my salvation. Behavior ain't my savior. Your savior is Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, all you have to do is put your trust in him. And I'm not just talking today to the unbeliever who's never put their trust in Christ, although I am speaking to you today. As uh, my good brother uh, Steve Zucker would say, I'm talking to the one today. You've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm talking to you. Of course I am. This is a great opportunity for you to start the journey of right standing before God because of Christ. But I'm talking to many good Christians, been Christians for a long time, that you need to know that you just need to, you need to get your faith, reboot your faith. Our brother had to reboot the keyboard a little while ago because it wouldn't shut up. <laughs> and it had one monotone that after a while would have drove us all crazy. And sometimes y'all just need to close this, reboot, because you're starting to get annoying. I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? You need a reboot. So there's probably good Christians in this room, good Christians in this room that need a little bit of a reboot in this area of your Christianity. To quit banking your sense of right standing with God on anything that you do. And bank it completely on the work of Jesus Christ. If you can believe it and receive it this morning, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to share your word. And it's been a word of truth. And now all of us have to deal with it in some way, shape, or manner. We have to take that truth that you've given us 
and we have to apply it to our lives. And that's a very individual thing, and I understand that, Father. So I pray that no one leaves this place today with any sense of, oh, wow, wasn't that good? Yeehaw, rah, rah. But may we all leave today with a sense of being rebooted in our spirit to have our faith in you and in you alone, the only righteous one who has made us righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.